And so if you wonder what Safe Haven is all about, um, I mean, that's it. That's, it's, 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 we, we put up a billboard on um, Highway 43. I'm not sure if you've seen the billboard just yet. Um, awesome. We, we wanted to put up a statement that fits our church. Um, we didn't want to say, come to where the action is, or come where we have life figured out, or come to... We just wanted Jesus plus nothing. That's what we've got here at Safe Haven, and that's what you'll hear again today. It's just Jesus, 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 because that's, that's our only hope. That's, that's it. Um, and so, in a second, we'll stand again for the reading of God's Word. But before we do that, I wanted to point your attention to this. It'll be on the screen above. Um, and, and this is Charles Colson. Charles Colson is a brilliant theologian, um, and his reflections on James chapter 4, I ran across this this week. As he preached through this, uh, this was a, a, a great illustration that he used to set the tone for this passage. I think it's fantastic. Um, and so, Charles Colson writing of the United Nations complex. And he had gone to the United Nations complex, or somebody had gone that he knew. I'm not sure exactly where that story fits in. But here's, here's recounting this um, visit. The United Nations complex sits on 16 acres of New York City's choicest real estate, bordering the East River and Manhattan. And a visitor went, and he was immediately struck by the grandeur of the building, stirred by the sight of dignitaries stepping out of black limousines to cross the massive plaza. And he realized that if this place represents the powers of the world coming together, well, then one might well want to see the place where they worship, where the nations bow before the one under whose rule they govern. And so he went and asked this person where the chapel was. And so the uh, informational personnel were bemused. The chapel? We don't have a chapel. (laughs) If there is one, then I believe it would be across the street. And so the visitor darts across the street and meets the security clearance desk. Well, there is a chapel here, responds the officer, but it's not associated with the UN, and it's back across the street. Tell them you're looking for the meditation room. And again, the visitor dashed across the pavement, and an an attendant tells him the room is not open to the public. It's a non-essential area, and there's been a personnel cutback. And so then the guide took him and paused at the unmarked door. He unlocked it and gingerly pushes it open. The small room is devoid of people, of decoration. The walls are stark white. There's no windows. A few wicker stools surround a large square rock at the center of the room. It's very quiet. But there's no altar, there's no rug, there's no vase, there's no candle or symbol of any types of religious worship. Lights in the ceiling create bright spots of illumination on the front wall. One focuses on a piece of modern art, steel squares and ovals. Beyond the abstract shapes, there's nothing in those bright circles of light. They're focused on a void. Check this line out. And it is in that void that the visitor suddenly sees the soul of the brave new world. I thought that was fantastic as we think through this passage today and as we dive into this. I 
always, anytime I want to I throw out an illustration that somebody else has, is, has used, I want to fact check and see if that is indeed the case. And so here on the screen above is the room where the United Nations gather, and they gather to, to do a great task, to seek prosperity and to seek peace. And so this visitor noticing, hey, well, surely if we're seeking that, we would seek the one who can provide said peace and prosperity, and nothing but this. No religious symbols, no nothing, just a meditation room. And I love that last line, as it does, does indeed, I believe, reveal the, the soul of the heartbeat behind why we do what we do or, or, or what we seek. And so it's a request for peace, but the absence of a God. It's the request for prosperity, but the absence of a God. Just man and his meditation, which will never bring peace nor prosperity. And so in that, <clears throat> I thought this was great. And I'm ask you, I ask you to take off your political glasses because you know me. I am, I am the most non-political person in this room. So, so Democrats don't get mad at me. Republicans don't get mad at me. I'm neither one of you. All right? So that's not my point. My point has nothing to do with politics. My point behind this is just simply this. James is going to show us that our personal life with God sometimes will look strangely and eerily similar to that room right there if we're not careful. Strangely similar. Um. <clears throat> Are our lives marked by, as Christians, I love God and I seek His will, or are our lives marked by this, I seek my will and just say that I love God, which is two totally different things. Are our lives marked? And so James is going to point this out. I mean, you keep coming back every week as we go through James, so I guess you enjoy getting punched in the nose as he continues to just kind of slap us around every single week, and that's what he's going to do again today. He lets up on the use of the tongue, and so we're done with that. So we can all applaud, okay, he's not going to talk about the tongue anymore, but he's going to go even deeper. He's going to go into our hearts. Why we do what we do? Does our walk match our talk? Do we line up with what we say? And that's what he's going to dive into today. So with that said, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's Word, and uh, let's read this aloud together. It's a short enough passage today that I think we can read it out as a church aloud. And so if you feel like joining in with me, join in with me. If you think that's creepy, then feel free to stand there. There's no extra points or anything. Um, so we're going to read this aloud. Um, and so in honor of God's word, here we go. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here we go again. Round 20 with old brother James. All right. Let me pray for us. Um, so Lord Jesus, thank you for this text that you have us by your sovereignty in today. God, I pray that as we examine our hearts in line with this, that 
really that whole notion of seeking peace without seeking you in the United Nations would that would really make us reflect. Do, do we claim to believe something that we don't model? Um, and so, are you in every facet of our life? God, we're asking these questions. Um, is the phrase, if the Lord wills in every decision we make, like, is that true of us or not? Are we just lip service and a little dark, dim room in our hearts. So, Lord Jesus, examine us today. Call us to the carpet by your grace where we need it, and then love on us in the gospel. And so, um, Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray. Thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Um, So God's going to tell us three things through this passage as we dive through it today. Three things that are A, for our good, and B, for his glory. So that's in every section of Scripture there is. That's the whole point. It's always for our good and for His glory. And so as we seek to align ourselves with this today, um, will we hear Him? Will we hear what James, what God's saying through the book of James? I told you at the beginning of this journey that James is intensely practical. And this is going to call into question every decision. It's going to call into question what you did this morning. It's going to call into question what you did last night. It's going to call into question what you did last summer, um, what you did the past years, what, where you're headed towards. It's going to call everything into question um, as we think through this. So he says three things to encourage the believer to dive in and to think through, do we match? Does our walk match our talk? Or are we just pretty people on Sunday morning who dress up and then, well, I mean, we don't really dress up. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> do, do, does it match? And so as we think through this, he says, number one, this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a place. Spend a year there. Trade and make a profit. And so you can see that life that says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go make this happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then he finishes up with this. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will even bring. So number one, what James tells us is the Christian life should be embraced should be marked by the certainty of uncertainties. There's one thing that's true in this world today, that there are uncertainties. That's just true. That's the only certain thing that life is marked by many uncertainties. And that's what James tells us. He says, hey, look, you can make all these plans, but you really don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the Christian life should be marked by that specifically. So the unbeliever life, indeed, as Plans are charted, and I'm going here, I'm making this happen. And so the unbeliever who who goes, there is no God or whatever, and makes these plans, when life cuts their legs out, they should be dismayed. They should be stunned. They should go, ah, I made these plans and it didn't happen. I, I feel bad. And what James is saying for our encouragement as a believer, we should be marked different than that. When we've made a plan and life undercuts us, here's how the believer responds. God told me that life was going to be uncertain. That's just, it's just part of it. There are uncertainties of life. So he tells us for our good. He tells us for our encouragement. We're driven in life by sometimes a power greater than us. I would argue always, but I know there are some of you who are not quite as reformed as I, and that's okay. But we can talk about that later. 
So with that said, I would say this. Um, in life, he tells us this to remind us that he knows the world we live in is broken. And we shouldn't be surprised when the broken world rears its head as Christians. We should be shocked. We should know that. It's, it's coming. He, he tells us we don't know what tomorrow will bring. In a couple of weeks or a couple of months, Tyler is going to take all of the youth to, uh, I believe, whitewater rafting. And if you've ever been whitewater rafting before, you get in the boat and that big powerful stream drives you how it wants to drive you. Now, you do have two things. You have paddles, which are of help, and then you have a guide, which is of help, usually has dreadlocks. <laughs> Just the nature of guides in whitewater. I don't know what it is about being a guide, but you got to have dreadlocks. I would never make it. Um, and, and so... Your, your, your driven is, is what James is saying. Listen, life drives and it takes these turns. And as a believer, we march forward because he tells us ahead of time, it's going to take turns that you don't expect. And so what do we do in that moment? We're comforted in this, that we know as believers that we are known personally by our Creator, even when life is tumultuous. In the rockiest of waves, God has not forgotten you. He tells us, it's uncertain, it's going to be uncertain, it's, it's okay. I'm not a deistic God who spun the world into existence and then walked away and said, hey, now you figure it out. And then every now and then he turns around and goes, now, how on earth did you get in that situation? <laughs> like, he's not shocked. He's not shocked. He, he knows this. It's what James is telling us. And that's for our good and for his glory. That in the rocky ways, we look up and go, it is rocky. <laughs> but I know you're for me and I stand on your promise. But you're here. So number one, James reminds us the Christian life should be embraced. One thing's for certain, that life will be uncertain. And so when your friends have situations that arise, or you have a situation that arises, and you walk forward in Christ, and, you, and, you, and you, you keep the smile on your face, and they go, why on earth are you still standing tall? You now can boast in Christ and not your strength. It's evangelism. It's worship. Number one, Christian life should embrace the certainty of uncertainties, James says. And then number two, the Christian life should embrace the reality of brevity. What is your life, James says? <laughs> for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's what your life is. And he tells us that as an encouragement. Why? So that our hope will not rest in this world. It's not our hope. Um, I know some of you guys enjoy a good candle. And I enjoy a good candle. And that's exactly what James is telling us. He's saying, listen, your life is like this. It's there. It's, we think it's real. And if we're not careful, we'll be drawn into it. And we'll give our lives away for that little puff of smoke right there. Everything we have will be about that little puff. 
And to chase it even further, we'll dive in. I know it's a Febreze candle. It's not the expensive ones. Um, it's not Tis the Season, which is the greatest candle smell of all times. Um, but we'll chase it. And James is saying, listen, you're, you're chasing this. You're, you're, you're honed in on the world. You're focused on the world. You, you're zeroed in. And I told you ahead of time, there will be 52 commands to do this and don't do that. This is one of them. He says, don't chase this. Don't put all your eggs in this basket. Life is here today, gone tomorrow. It's that quick. Don't put your hope in this. And so, as we think through that, in, in James's beautiful illustration, if we're not careful, church, we'll chase the vanishing scent of the earth just like unbelievers. James says, don't do it. Don't buy into it. If we're not careful, we'll find that we've wasted our entire life on a $5 trinket. If we're not careful, we will live our lives based on us and what pleases us rather than the glorious news of the gospel that dead sinners can be changed into saints. That's the hope. And so why is this instruction good for us? Here's why. This reminder of brevity, that life is here today, gone tomorrow, for the believer, encourages us that while on this earth, we are being prepared for a wedding. That this little thing that's flashing here today, gone tomorrow, is preparing us for what's to come. Namely, believers, we will enter into a wedding feast as a bride, adorned for the bridegroom, as Scripture says. Not that we chose him, but that he and his love came down and loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we'll be made white as snow, as we just sang before, and made whole, not because anything we did or conjured up on this little piece of earth, but because of what he did for us. That's our hope. So what can crush your soul, believer? Nothing. Nothing. What did Paul say? To be absent from the body. Take away even my life. To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. Amen. Kill me. Good. Good. So every time somebody on the news says, is this a sign of the times? I go, I sure hope so. <laughs> I sure hope so. But if you're an unbeliever in this room... God is extending the earth in grace for you because he loves you to give you time to respond in grace to him. So, for what are you? You're a mist that appears for a time and then it's gone. So that little notion, you've heard this all your life. You only have one life to live. Make the most of it. James says, not true. Not true. Your best life is to come. And so, number three, he goes on to say this. Number one, he says the Christian life should embrace the certainty that life is uncertain. Christian life should embrace the reality that this is just brief. This is not our home, that we've got a better place to come. And then number three, the Christian life should embrace the humility of dependency. 
the humility of dependency. Let me read that aloud. Instead, and this is total contrast to the world. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and we'll do this or we'll do that. That's what we should be marked by. If the Lord wills, we should do this. Our lives shouldn't be marked by if I will, if I want, if I can do. Our lives shouldn't be us. My will be done. Our lives should be what the Lord wills. That's, that's what he's saying. That's what we should be marked by. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So what he's saying is, the one who goes, I've carved a path. I went to school. I did this. I did the apprenticeship. I made this happen. And you're taking your own marching orders. This is the path that I've carved. I cannot divert to the right or left because this is my path. He says, that's arrogant. It's arrogant. He says, we should be, if the Lord wills. Do we plan Yes. <laughs> Do we strategize? Absolutely. Do we chart a, a line in the sand and strive for it? Yes. But the believers marked by, Lord, I'm headed here, but if you want to change it, by all means, change it. Do you hold your life loosely? Is what James is saying. Make plans, but hold them loosely because God may change the. Are you. Are you okay with that? That's a hard question, isn't it? Are you okay with God changing your plans? Again, been chewing on that for seven days. There you go. You can chew on it now. That's a tough question. There are a plethora of babies in utero right now at Safe Haven. Got one right over there. We got one right over here. Got one right over there. We got babies. They're like, it's, they're, it's a plethora of babies. Do not drink water out of that water fountain back there <laughs> if you don't plan on getting pregnant. We got one that literally could have baby like right now. Isn't that right, Christine? That would be weird. All right. Um, but nonetheless, here's the thing. Think about these babies in your wombs or the babies in these wombs. How bizarre would it be for one of those babies to go, I know what's best. Let me out right now. That'd be fairly dangerous, right? Or if one of the babies said this, I'm really tired of drinking this amniotic fluid. How about you cut the cord, shove me some pizza? Be strange, right? And not only strange, but it would be, it'd be dangerous, wouldn't it? It would be outside of the center of safety. It may seem a little better, but it's still outside the center of safety. And that is squarely what James is saying. Our lives as believers have to be marked by your will, even if it looks different than what the world says your will should be. Because it's his place of safety. Hold your plans loosely. This, the safest place is to be in the center of God's will. And you go, well, what is God's will? Well, that's a whole other sermon. It's archived. You can go listen to it. Romans chapter 12. But Randall's got the... Anyway. But are we even asking the question is what James is saying. Like, is that even in our paradigm to ask that question? Or are we like, just give me the pizza. Just give me the pizza. And so, even if... God's will seems bland, even if it seems like you're missing out, even if it's not as shiny as that penthouse, it's still for your good and for his glory. That's what he's saying. 
So this reminds us, as an encouragement as we wrap it up, this is so good. This reminds us that we have a God who's willing to talk to us. If you're going to seek the Lord's will, it means that he's willing to respond. That's good news for some sorry sucker like me. That he would even listen is amazing. But that he would respond is a whole other ball of wax. So it encourages us in that. And it also reminds us, listen guys, it reminds us that the God we serve is not a cosmic kill joy overlord waiting to zap you. Like how many people, that's the notion that you had of God growing up. Yep, he, that's him. He is ready to just zap. All right? Okay, this destroys that God doesn't sit on high on a throne going, all right, I'm going to zap him to see if I can zap Tyler today. All right? I don't, see, if, see if I can zap Nick today. See if I can zap Jeremy today. What's he going to do? It was, pow, 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 boom. It's not God. What James paints is a picture of a God who's sitting there going, I bid you come and let's talk. I'm here for you. There's nothing you can tell me that will shock me. I'm God. Like you're not going to go to God and be like, hey, I really messed up this time. And he go, hmm, tell me about it. I don't, I don't know what's going on. That's not God. He bids you come to seek his will. And this is a great reminder because our church is largely reformed. Again, a lot of you aren't, and that's okay. Um, but for all of us reform-minded folks, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. You can take it out real quick. It's going to be real quick. But for all of us who are very reformed, let me tell us something. I'm talking to me. Sometimes we need to stop sitting and thinking about our depravity and realize that by the Spirit of God, we can actually do things that pleases God. Because I'm the first to quote Romans 8. Who's done good? No, not one. Blah, blah, blah. And I get that in its context, but I'll sit there and I'll, I'll die there. That's a joyless life. And God's saying, you can please me. Seek my will. And by the Spirit, let's march in step. So... As we wrap it up, practical band, come on back up. Here's what this means practically. Um, let's just bring it down nutty, nutty, um, nitty-gritty. I was about to say nutter butter bar. I don't even like them. Uh, oatmeal cream pies, that's another story. Okay, practical, here's what James is saying to us. Are we asking this question, are you considering a move? Is this move what God would have, or is this move what I would have? Is this house what I would have, or is this house what would God have? Is this vocation what God would have for me, or is this vocation what I would have for me? Is this adoption what I would have for me? Is this adoption what God would have for me? Is this media post... Is this media post what I would have for me and everybody who reads it? Or is this media post what God would have for me? Is this conversation what God would have for me? Or is this conversation what I would have for me? Is this school choice what God would have for me? 
Or is this school choice what I would have for me? Is this car purchase what God would have for me? Or is this car purchase what I would have for me? Is this portfolio what God would have for me? Or is this portfolio what I would have for me? And 90% of us go, I don't even know what a portfolio is. So I'm out on that one. Is this dress, is these shoes, is this hobby, is this toy, is this haircut, is this mastercraft? Yes, it's always yes to the mastercraft. That is God's will for you. Yes, that's the only one. You get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. You get what James is saying. Do we even ask the question is his point? Troy? Does God really, does it really matter that we seek him that much in everything? James says a resounding what? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And as a believer, we should be marked by that. So, James's point, I'll throw it up on the screen. If we're not careful, our intentions will be driven much like the United Nations. We'll be driven by our emotional whims. We'll be driven by whoever's most convincing in our ear. We'll be driven by what is everybody else doing. We'll be driven by the greater good. I know God's in this because my paycheck is going to increase. That sounds strangely similar to what Satan offered Jesus on the temple, isn't it? Greater good must be God. Wasn't in that case. Just saying. I'm just saying. Now, some of you are like, hey, I just got, I just got offered a job, Troy. You tell me don't take the job. No, no, I'm not being your Holy Spirit. That's not my point. You get my point. Are we even asking the question? That's the point. So, does your prayer look like which one of these two? Hey, God, please let my will be done. Or does your prayer look like this? God, let your will be done. Is your prayer life marked by God, I want this, I need this, fix this, change this, do this, this is what I desire, my heart, make my will your will? Or do we approach God in prayer going, what is your will, and now morph my heart in line with you? Even if your answer is no. Fantastic passage of scripture. All right, let's do, we, let's do wrap it up. Hebrews 4 is on the screen above, and here's the hope for the believer. Will Jesus really hear my prayer? Yeah. Yes, believer, he will. Why? Hebrews 4 promises, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then believe or listen. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, not the throne of zapping you. The throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Believers, let us draw near. Let us ask the question, God, what is your will? What a great passage, man. What a great passage. Um, all right.